Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck sticks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF. This is my podcast that I do out of a garage on a hill precariously on, on uh, I think, what might be cinder blocks from the early 1900s, just perched here, waiting for something, waiting for something. Maybe nothing will happen. I'm still in my garage. I'm not... Uh, I'm not as much in the house, but uh, but I'm here, man. I'm here. Today on the show, James Franco will talk to me for a while, all right? I, this is one of those shows where I'm rushing, I'm harried, uh, I, I'm still in makeup here, I've got, uh, I've got stuff in my hair that makes me Sam Sylvia, uh, I have to shoot in Pomona later this week. Sadly, maybe I'll have some Pomona stories next week. God knows Pomona's got tails. Maybe I'll have an experience in Pomona. But as of right now, it's just moving and shooting. Moving and shooting, people. So this, uh, this I know some of you are going to be heartbroken, but I might not ramble on as much as I usually do. Because I, I talked to Franco for a while, and I'm a little crunched for time. Do you dig what I'm saying? So, like, as I said, James Franco is here. Now, I, I guess I can, you know, I was... I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know him. And, and those of you who listen to this show know that, you know, we had an episode that had some James Franco on it. I was in Austin. I was at South by Southwest, I believe. I was doing a live WTF there. I can't remember who was on. I do remember Nate Bargetsy was there. I know there's some other people. And then Franco and Harmony Corrine were promoting the, the film Spring Breakers. And in, in sort of a last minute thing, Charlie, the dude who booked some of the stuff up there, said, well, they're going to come by. So they did. And I talked to Harmony backstage and I met uh, James Franco and Harmony seemed very animated, very funny. James was, you know, uh, uh, what I perceived as a bit aloof. And uh, and then, you know, I started the show and they came out uh, and they did, uh, you know, and it was difficult. It was weird. You know, it, it was a live audience. And I had made an assumption. I had assumed and this is this is something we all do and we don't necessarily need to do. I had assumed that James Franco was some kind of um uh you know pseudo intellectual kind of affected pompous guy and uh you, you know he was doing a lot of stuff, going to a lot of schools, doing a lot of art. And I just made assumptions before I met him. 
and he came out and I and I thought Harmony would be fun because he was always fun when he was a kid on Letterman. He was pleasant backstage, just chatty. And he kind of locked up on me and acted affected and weird. And Franco, I asked him some straight ahead questions, but he seemed to I you know, I just decided he was being a dick to me and uh you know, we got to hash this out and we will hash it out. But but what I realized and I'll tell him this is that I realized like the, the day that I interviewed him like he didn't know what he was walking into. He didn't know me. He didn't know the show. And and the live show was the live show. And there's an audience. So I'm acting like an asshole and uh, busting his balls a little bit. But he didn't know what he walked into. And and I, I sort of blamed him. So we're going to straighten this out. But I certainly am no stranger to people sort of misunderstanding or deciding something about me. And I do it with other people too. Like that guy's an asshole. That guy's arrogant. Who does that guy think he is? Oh, he's too good for us. Whatever. You know, oh, he thinks he's all this or all that. And and most of the time what I find, and this is just with me, when people think I'm being an asshole or when people think that, you know, outside of acting like an asshole, which I don't usually do in the way that I used to, but sometimes I'm dismissive or I don't say thank you or I, I you know, I don't listen properly. And it's not because I'm, I'm being a dick. I might be being a dick, but, but here's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm lost in my own fucking head. I'm not paying attention to what you're, you're saying. I'm not paying attention to what you're doing. And when you're on set, that's important to do that. You know, people are you know, putting makeup on you. They're doing your hair. I mean, you don't, it's just 90% of the time, I think for me, when I'm being an asshole, it's because I'm just lost in my own head preoccupied with myself there's no malicious intent but it's just rude behavior and when you when you don't respond or you don't you know engage properly you become sort of a blank canvas for people's assumptions because they don't know what the fuck is going on you're not even acting polite you're not even saying thank you you're not even acknowledging that you've heard what somebody said you're taking everybody for granted you're just moving through the world like it's your screen treating the people that wait on you places shitty. So as soon as you do that, when you're that disconnected from the humanity around you on a day-to-day basis, you make yourself just a, 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 a tabula rosa for, uh, for people's projections and assumptions about you. You can only use that excuse so many times. I'm sorry I wasn't paying attention. I'm sorry I was thinking about me. I'm sorry. Were you just, uh, did, are, did, are, have you been here long? I'm sorry. Did you, oh, did I just eat your lunch? Jesus, I've, I've got to pay attention. I've got to, to engage in some basic etiquette or manners or some respect for other people. I just, I just thought that was my food. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm sorry. Did I just sit on you? I thought you were a chair. So needless to say, you know, entering the James Franco thing, you know, I was uh, I was sort of a, you know, a, a little bit anxious to make a connection to talk about things that mattered to him. I was also, you know, uh, anxious to get to know him because I had made assumptions before that turned out to be way off. And we ended up, you know, jabbering for for a long time. Like I, it actually like, you know, and, and you know, I had to go. So I, it was one of those situations where we talked for a long time and I'm like, I, I'd like to keep talking, but I got to. I got to go. So this is me and uh, James Franco. Uh, the disaster artist is now playing in New York and L.A. It opens wide tomorrow, uh, Friday, December 8th. Um, so this is a couple of guys 
Getting to know each Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts each other i was thinking about uh, poetry and i was going to give you i don't know i got some good books okay no i mean i was gonna i don't know what i, I thought like maybe maybe read some poems <laughs> you want to read some poems on here sure man <laughs> what do you mean you played ginsburg you know right you played I, him. Yeah. Are we going? Is this the thing? Sure. <laughs> and uh, I've played Ginsburg. Because he, like, for some reason, he was uh, he was very important to me. Alan Ginsburg? Yeah. Do you ever meet him? I'd never, I never did meet him. Mm-hmm. I, I got a signed book by him. He was around a bit. I grew up in New Mexico. But, you know, yeah. he was so he you... was in New York, and, like, I, I knew people that knew him, but no, I never met him. Did you meet him? No. He was already he died. gone. Yeah. I think he died... I just remember uh not uh, terribly long ago. Like, yeah, Goodwill Hunting, I think, was dedicated to him and um Burroughs. I think they died around the same time. Did they? And I think it was like that year. I love Burroughs. Yeah. He's hilarious. <laughs> he is. Yeah. He, did you ever realize that about him? How funny he fucking was? Well, in Drugstore Cowboy, he's hilarious. But like the writing, like the writing, they're bits. I it took me years to realize it because I was so looking for something else. You know mm. what I mean? I was like this guy's got, he's like a, a Kabbalah, you know, like the burrows, it's all coming through him. And then if you read parts of Naked Lunch, they're just like shtick, they're funny. Mm-hmm. And they, and I saw him, like when I was, my freshman year of college, I saw his appearance on SNL and he was doing bits from Naked Lunch. Right, he just yeah. read his work on Right. That. Yeah. I, I, funny. I'm going to do SNL um, next week. Really? For, yeah, it'll be my fourth time, but I remember being on there. I did, actually made a documentary. Yeah about it my about going on snl yeah my well my documentary i i'm not the host of the documentary right uh, it's um john malkovich yeah and i <laughs> was in with them it was actually yeah. a an assignment when i was at nyu yeah. to do like a documentary and just follow somebody for seven minutes like an observational seven doc. minutes and i was gonna follow bill Hader, right and just make it a seven minute doc and sure. then lorne i guess liked me and he gave me all access to everything yeah. and i was like well i'm not gonna waste this i'm gonna make a feature and i went and it's like it's the only snl doc where you get to see what happens every step of the week and yeah. you followed malkovich malkovich and the whole you know all the yeah, writers sure, all the, sure yeah everyone yeah how long ago was that uh seven years ago i think where's yeah. that at where can you see that I, it was on hulu i think it's still on hulu it took a while to like get it released just yeah. because um of all the rights and whatever else, and 
Because I was looking at the stuff, like there's some movies that you made that I was like, wait, where did I, yeah. how'd I miss that? Too many. <laughs> because there's too many, that's why. <laughs> how'd I miss that? Oh, it's only seven minutes long. There's got to be another No, 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 this one's a feature. No, I know, uh, I know, I know. Actually, you, you know what happened with that? It was, it was, I was going to be put out by yeah. um, um, Adam Yauch's company. Yeah, the Beastie Boy. Yeah. But he, he passed? And he passed away. Um, such a great dude. Seemed like a nice guy, and uh, and then it took a while to to find another place. But like I di- I didn't realize that uh, you did the the um, Faulkner novel too. As I like I did dying, two right? of, <laughs> I doubled down on Faulkner. What was the other? You'd one? think one would be enough. Yeah, I read those <laughs> books for the first time in um, high school because I I. My dad introduced me to As I Lay Dying. You, I got in a lot of trouble in high school. We right. can go into that if you want. Sure. Um, but but uh, not reading Faulkner. No. And mm. then after I got arrested enough times, it was like, all right, I, I guess I can't go out with my friends anymore. And so I would spend the weekends <laughs> um, at home <laughs> reading Faulkner it's all As their I Lay fault, Dying. Right? It's all their with, fault. Right? With the uh yeah with the cliff notes the, oh cliff notes and um it was amazing for me you know like um uh that book and sound and the yeah. fury when we did the movie uh i realized for it'll as be I, as easier I lay dying. or for both i first i did as i lay dying so okay you did the sound and the fury yeah i had no idea oh yeah you got to check it out yeah where do you see that one it's online, I think. Is it? Yeah, I think it's you can on, get iTunes? on iTunes. I think. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I do got to watch it. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm just talking about the book, and now you you went and shot it. Now what? Okay, so as a guy, you know, you do you, you're doing you, your, your career's going well, and you're like you know, <laughs> and like I'm just going to challenge myself with this with, with those books, those impossible books. Yeah, exactly. But uh, what was the impetus? That was very well. I'll tell you. I uh, let's see here. Well, first I got. First, I want to. We're going to get to this, mm-hmm. but I think, I think the beginning of your and my story is um, Austin, because yeah, I, I, I was just. I've been listening to your whole. I've been listening to your show nonstop um, for the past month. Yeah, okay? I, I was a little off. I, I, you know, I, I, I was hard on you. Uh, you know, afterwards. Well, I want to break it down because I'm still, I'm still a little confused. So we both can kind of stay away. I think I know what happened. Okay, so I just listened to Harmony's interview from from years ago. Oh yeah, New York. Yeah, yeah. Which is great, and you kind of brought it up there a little bit. So this is what I remember happening. So I was there for Spring Breakers in Austin yeah. at South by Southwest. Right. I was just doing interviews all right. day. Right. I admit that I, because I don't come. You know, I I I work with Seth Rogen and Judd. Yeah. But like, I don't you know, know the comedy yeah. world that you, well. You, you don't know me. You had so no I idea. didn't know who you were. No, I had no idea what you were walking. Yeah. Into. So they're right. like, all right, we're going to this little theater. Yeah. And you guys are gonna, you know, this yeah. guy Mark will interview right. you. I was right. like, and there would be a group of us. I don't even remember who was with Harmony, but there were a couple other guys on stage. Well, yeah, there was a when I did the live WTFs. There was usually like four or five comics. I think Nate Bargetti was there and a couple other ones. And then you guys just walk in because the guy who runs the festival had got it. You know, he had cooked me up. And in retrospect, I realized you walk out in front of a live audience yeah. with Harmony yeah. and me, this like who's being absur- acerbic because I'm in front of a live audience. Uh-huh. And I'm kind of like, you know, I'm, I don't know if I was dickish, but there was no other way for you to behave. You know, like I felt like, well, what's he like? He's got to be a dick to me. But like, what? You don't know me, and that's a live situation, and I'm sitting there like, you know, hammering on you. What else are you gonna do? You can detach a little bit, right? Okay, so you, so you weren't your normal self, or you're not. It's not this, this mark. Well, no, because I, there's an audience to service. 
Yeah. Right. So like, when so, you do this, you you go deep. Right. Yeah. We just talk. It's one on one. And you know you ain't gonna get the deep stuff if you're like no, you can't do it in front people. of it. Yeah, and you can't do it in front so of a live audience. So you weren't in that mode. No, because that was the mode that I thought. Because like I've been to, you know, I went I went back to school. I've 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 listened to a lot of guest lectures and yeah. you know authors talking about their work. Yeah. And it's always or directors or whatever. It's yeah. always such a bummer <laughs> when you get the you know the. Well, my work speaks for itself. I don't right, know. Right. And you just, they don't answer anything. I mean, it must yeah. be a bummer. For, you're an interview. It must be the worst if somebody's just like, yeah. It they don't want to do the interview. They're just sort of doing it to sell their thing or something, but they're well, not giving you anything. Right? I don't, yeah, I don't do too many of those. I, and, and usually I'll hammer, like I had Paul Thomas Anderson in here. Yeah, I, I heard that one. Yeah, that just yeah. went movie for movie. I was like, oh, fuck this. Yeah. You know, like, what? What is that? And he was good. I didn't realize he was such a goofy, fun guy. So, like, you know, I think you got out. more out of him than anybody probably ever has yeah i but like i thought because he's a little bit like i i used to um do interviews for uh like playboy and yeah. different outlets and i know him a little bit and i and he's the one i'd uh, him and cormac mccarthy yeah i haven't and talked I, to him yeah did you meet him well you do, i've you, talked to him on the phone uh-huh did you did a, you adapt to one of his too didn't you yeah child of god yeah, yeah. and i remember asking him <laughs> <laughs> when we did Child of God, right. I, I got on the phone. And he was like my favorite writer, and yeah. I was like living writer. And I was like, "All right, so this is a book about um, a necrophiliac that's running around the woods murdering people so they can have sleep with them." And uh, so people are probably going to ask me why I made this movie. So I'll just ask you, Cormac, like, why did you write that? Why did you write the book? And he and this is his answer. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know, James. Probably some dumbass reason <laughs> like that, like that. You know what I mean? It's like it's a great, you know, a great story, but I'm not, you know, it doesn't give me much. And so when I was on stage with you, I was trying to give you answers. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, 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 you, I don't know if you have that on, you know, on record somewhere uh, that interview, but like we played it. Yeah, I remember you were asking me about freaks and geeks. Yeah. This is this is what I remember, we, yeah. and then you can tell me what. Uh, and you were asking me about freaks and geeks, and I was trying to give you a, a right. <laughs> somewhat informative answer yeah. that I like improvised, you know. Yeah. But like, then would improvise off camera, like, yeah. and the other actors were like not into it, and it wasn't helpful. Right. And I said, "This is what I remember." I said, uh, "Yeah, I took myself too seriously then." And then you jumped in and said, "It's a good line." Yeah, and. My reaction probably shows that you were right. You're like, what, uh, did, I, what did I say then? Yeah, you're like, oh, as opposed to now or something like that. <laughs> and boom, I was just like, in my in my mind, I was like, yeah, fuck this dude. I'm trying to give him a good answer, and he's gonna. What's he doing? Like, Took a shot at you. Yeah, yeah. I was like, busting uh, your well, balls. All right, no more good answers for you, motherfucker. Oh, like that that's yeah. and then and I remember you saying, what? Well, don't that's where it don't shut, shut down, down yeah, on me. Yeah, yeah, right. right. But there wasn't that much more to the interview, I remember. No, 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 it wasn't. It wasn't. I, I And so I later heard like you were kind of pissed about it. And so- But but I, I was thinking about it today, uh, you know, yeah, it, it yeah, reflecting. Yeah, I was coming in. Well, yeah, but like I, I wasn't worried about it. But I, I, re I realized my part in it was, you know, what did I expect? You, I, like I realized, I think, just this morning that like he had no idea what he's walking into. 
and he yeah. didn't know who I was. Yeah. And then Harmony, who's like chipper and funny off stage, yeah. immediately turns into a weirdo the second he's on stage. Yeah. Like just shuts down completely. Yeah. Gives me nothing. And then you, you know, kind of, like I just lumped you two together as like, what is the point of this? They're just gonna, they're gonna like stonewall me with like uh, uh, some sort of uh, artistic uh, uh, cockiness. You Weird, because I thought I was giving you answers. Yeah, I know. Look, I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> okay, neither am I. It was a, it was a difficult situation. But I'm sorry, I shut down. Oh no, it's don't. I'm I am sorry that I was a dick. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's so funny though when you talk about Harmony because he's I think he's just one of the most incredible you know he's a, oh definitely yeah. and he's, he's an a artist. tricky dude you know because like he's got a lot in there and he's he's got a lot of past and you know i think there's a lot he doesn't like to talk about so like he kind of moves around things you know when you talk to him right yeah and there's such an interesting thing I, my new thing that i'm interested in yeah. is um where people are sort of confident in performance mm -hmm. and different sort of performance spaces and there's this new amazing documentary out called um jim and andy on Netflix. i saw it yeah. yeah where jim carrey you know it's footage from when jim carrey played andy kaufman and uh on man on the moon but then a right a recent interview right yeah and <clears throat> well if they were make they were backstage making a documentary of him being andy on the set yeah. of Man on the Moon. And, and he, he goes so far into it, Jim's gone. Well, he right? said, well, well, his premise was that, you know, he, he was a vessel and, you know, he went on the beach and he was occupied by Andy, right? Yeah. But then Milos, For you see Milos Foreman, the great Milos Foreman. Right. I mean, Cuckoo's Just Nest trying to deal with it. One of my favorite movies ever. And he did Amadeus too, didn't uh, yeah. he? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, great. And Larry Flint, which was great yeah, too. Yeah, great. And, um, and there he is, cowed. Like he yeah. he can't even talk to his actor really, you yeah. know what I mean? He and he's calling Jim up saying, "Jim, I just yeah, can want, I talk to Jim?" Yeah, he's, he's, like, he's asking yeah. Tony Clifton. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, "Well, we can uh, we can fire Andy and and Tony Clifton, and I can get Jim back, and he can maybe do a a good impression of those guys." Right. Is that what you want, Milos? Yeah. And he's like, "Oh no." But, but, what did, but what was your feeling of that? So this is what you're like you're thinking about how you occupy different performance spaces. Yeah. What was your reaction to that film? As an actor, watching that, you that know, it was ama that it was amazing. Like Jim Carrey is such an you know he's his thing, and when he does it, it's miraculous. Yeah. And, the, and the way they and it's also the documentary documentary is also a story of of Andy or Andy's life and Jim's life, right? And you see, and Jim, the way he talks about his performance persona is like, he calls it Jekyll and Hyde, except it's a benign Hyde, right? Right. Another person takes over. So, and he's, I guess he learned that from stand-up. Like he, he after a while, sure. he's like, no plan. Right. I'm just going to go out there right. and let this Hyde character yeah. take over and just right. figure it out on right. stage. Yeah. There's something I kind of love about that, but it's also a little crazy i think you but know didn't you watch it as an actor and think like oh these poor people on this set well <laughs> i think like, about that sort of yeah it's it's a it's, it's an amazing exercise and that documentary is amazing but i think when they were making man on the moon it feels a little like it wasn't after a while it was diminishing returns you know what i mean sure. like yeah um my guess is when um Daniel Day-Lewis is playing, you know, Lincoln. Lincoln. Yeah. Yes, Spielberg has to go over and say, Mr. President. Right. 
but he can. But he's not going to be an asshole. He can talk to. Yeah, it's not like. What? What you want? It's not going to be. Stephen, I can only speak about the Fourteenth Amendment. Like you know what I mean? It's like yeah, yeah. you can yeah. talk to him about the the mission at hand. Sure. As you sure. know, and that there's a still an inkling of Daniel Day Lewis's consciousness behind the facade of Lincoln. Well, you but you immerse yourself in a similar way. But when you say. You know how people occupy spaces. Are you talking about? Because it seems to me that over in the more experimental modes of of what you've done creatively. Yeah. I mean you've 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 done that. I mean you've you've experimented with putting yourself in spaces. Some of them commercial spaces. Some of them you know covered in you know yeah. gold leaf. Some of them. <laughs> that was not my idea. <laughs> that was you know, Marina Abramovich's idea. Some of them. That some was of them, bizarre I, and absurd. <laughs> I watched that. I I I'm like you know, I I don't know what it meant. She well, put, no. They put honey on me and gold leaf. It was, but you, but you, you showed up for it. You, you were that you, was you that, were willing. That was part of it. That was part of a lot of those things. Yeah, the showing up and putting myself into different places. And I actually that idea um, that I was just talking about with Jim Carrey of figuring it out on stage or figuring it out in front of camera. Yeah, that's something that this performance artist that I worked with uh, and all around artist. Um, Paul McCarthy. Do you know that dude? I don't. He does a lot of, um, he's sort of like, do you know Mike Kelly? Do you know yes, who that yeah, guy sure, was? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. He was in that crowd of this LA artist. Yeah, yeah. My girlfriend's a painter. Okay, she'll know him. Yeah, Like definitely. he's one of yeah. the most, he's one of the biggest LA artists. I think around. you almost bought one of her paintings once. You liked it, but it was sold. That's oh, really? That's the story. That's the story I heard. <laughs> okay. All right, uh, so, so this guy McCarthy. He, I did a project with him that was sort of, and a bunch of other artists, but it was inspired by uh, Rebel Without a Cause. Okay. And the way- How long ago? Uh, probably about six years ago now, yeah. seven years ago. And um, he talks about it that way. Like when he does his performances, it's sort of like you work, he's like, you work it out in front of the camera. Yeah. And, it, and his things are like, he'll take a movie like Rebel Without a Cause yeah. and the way he describes it, he's like, and then we fuck it up. Or right. he'll take Snow right. White and, sure. and then f fuck it up. And it just becomes this so, weird yeah. thing with lots of like um, fluids and like yeah. ketchup and mayonnaise as yeah. to stand in for like body fluids and stuff right. like that. And, and anyway, it's a certain kind of way of working. Sure. And, and so part of my thing, I think in hindsight was, oh, I'll show up. I'll put myself, I'll insert myself into this thing. So when I did General Hospital, right? Yeah. I, that came out of a conversation with an artist friend of mine, uh, Carter. He wanted me to do his weird art film where I was going to play a character. Carter? Who, yeah, it's like Madonna, like Carter. Just just Carter? Yeah, Carter. <laughs> I knew a guy named Carter who was an artist in New York. Oh. Carter Castera? No. No, it's just Carter. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know his last name. Okay, yeah. And, it, and uh, mm -hmm. I was going to play a character that had been on a soap opera but had been fired because he um, had a mental breakdown. Okay. And it, we were just walking on the streets of New York and we're like, oh yeah, what if you were like actually on a soap opera? And I was like, oh. And I was in that mode. It was like, oh yeah, that'd be cool. And, and you could do it. Like you knew that like if you wanted to do it, they'd write you. Oh, they were excited. <laughs> they were really excited. <laughs> yeah, they were like, uh, General Hassel was like, uh, yeah, you can come on. Do you want to write your own character? What do you want to play? You can do anything you want. And I said- no, I want the full soap opera makeover. I don't want to write anything. I want you guys to write it. 
all I want is my character to be an artist yeah. and I want him to be crazy. Okay. <laughs> and um and they came up with the, the idea that the character would be named Franco. Uh-huh. And it was awesome because it was this cliche version of an artist yeah, you know like right. started with the street art and yeah. then now he's like doing installations but his but he's secretly a murderer you know and right. the murder is secretly in the art and all this stuff yeah, yeah. and it was so hokey on one level but because it was on a soap opera and i clearly didn't belong there like the move the tacit understanding, uh, you know, of an actor's trajectory is like you start in a soap <laughs> opera and move up to right. movies. Yeah. And here I was, moving movies, I was like doing 127 hours at, around that time. Yeah. And then I'm going to a soap opera. So already I was like an imposter. But then they called the character Franco. So it was like you couldn't help but not be pulled out of it it was like already meta you know so, what I mean? right yeah were, were you trying to uh, undermine it i think just my presence yeah. was undermining it i and then i went on and it, it taught me a lot i went on and i was like didn't you do like 30 of them yeah but but <laughs> i'll tell you how that went down like i went on and i was before i went i was like am i gonna have to do like soap opera acting like what it and it was a great lesson where it was like no you, as an actor, are in in film and television and and theater. You are so um, tempered by everything around you. It was such a great lesson. Yeah, and that's why you can see great actors that are awesome in one movie, and in another movie, you're like, "What the heck?" There's yeah. there's still the great actors I know. I mean, some some what happened, some change, but other times it's just like. What a what a weird yeah. you know yeah. disparity between those levels of performances, and I I believe a lot of it has to do with who you're working with, what the material is, how it all comes out, because it is such a collaborative medium, and 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 the soap opera thing though, like, but so that's one of those things. So where, I went in there, and it was like you say those lines, yeah. they have to shoot, you know, so they have five episodes a week, they have a certain budget. It's just plain easier to have the two characters sit on a couch and talk and say, you know, just about this issue again and again and again. Yeah. You know, you can't have car chases and, yeah. and whatnot. Like, right. yeah. you have to have them sit in the same place and have them talk for 10 minutes. Economical reasons. Yeah. And, and all the, like, you go in a soap opera set. You've got those sets, and all the lights are already on a grid. Yeah. So all they have to do is like, okay, three, five, thirty-nine, <laughs> da da da, and then you've got four cameras. Yeah. So it's not just one take per setup, like yeah. you do on your show. Right. Or, or, you know, you do yeah. different setups. Yeah. Like Glow, I'm right. sure they yeah. take time to light it yeah, and yeah, everything. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is not just one take per setup. This is one take per scene. <laughs> like you just <laughs> learn the scene, do it once. Good check. Moving on. Yeah. Done. Like that. <laughs> yeah. So the way I did uh, all those episodes, they called them, they were so excited to have me. Yeah. That they would just block all of my scenes on on Fridays, right? Yeah. They called them Franco Fridays. Yeah. And I was in New York at the time in school. Yeah, at NYU. I would land on Friday at like 10 a.m., go there. I'd, I'd shoot from 11 to about 2 a.m. Yeah. I was doing, and now you have, you have, uh, appreciation for yeah, this because right. of your show. Yeah, I was doing eighty to ninety pages a day. Oh my god, <laughs> that's like a full feature length 
film script. That's great. In a day. With all you? In a day. Oh my God. And uh, I would, I had, it's how I met one of my assistants, Samantha. She was working on the show and she and I would just read the scene and I'd get it down. Okay, ready. And we'd go and do the thing. One take, boom, next. And just like that, all day on Fridays. So on three consecutive Fridays, we uh, logged 21 episodes worth of my character's material. So they just had that <laughs> to, you know, have. So, so, but in your mind, you know, there was a tongue-in-cheekness to it. But, you know, once you got, you, you followed through with it, it became, it, it was a, a sort of uh, experiment in that idea of, of people occupying different spaces. But it seems like as an actor that it was also challenging. It, yeah, it had its own challenges for sure. It was, um, but I didn't have to act like a soap opera actor. What, what my right. point was like, I just say those lines and you lit in a certain way and they, they cake on the makeup. They would always say like, yeah, James, you got to put on that makeup or it's going to be, you know, Nixon in the, you know, the debates or whatever, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah. The Kennedy debate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so they cake on the makeup and you look a certain way and you're saying these lines and it's, you know, blocked the way it is and, it, and you just start coming off. Like a quote-unquote soap opera actor, you know what I mean? It's just a particular thing. But the context is too big. It's too too instilled. It's like the context is, you're not bigger than the context. Right. Although, in a way, I was. Because then when it started coming out... Yeah. People started reviewing, and and so General Hospital was excited because all of a sudden, yeah, they're getting wow, attention. all the all these cool <laughs> places, salon or whatever, Slater's talking about General Hospital, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. this kind of meta weird thing. And then what was so cool about um, the soap opera format is they have to churn out the material so quickly, yeah, that then they could start writing in response to the the oh, critics or right, the phenomenon right. that was sure. going on and so it became even more meta yes. and then my mom who's a children's book author had been taking acting lessons in palo alto and yeah. she had a uh improv group called suburban squirrel uh-huh. and i had mentioned it to the writers <laughs> and they're like well we should get her on to play your real mom so my real mom came on and acted with me but and that was so weird because like she was playing my mom she should know how to do that and it was like she and the character is like a former hippie and right um and she just started playing it so weird like she was like talking to me like i don't know just drawing out her words like hi like oh what are you doing i'm like mom why are you t- why are you talking like like i was just trying to help her like as a fellow actor like right. mom yeah, yeah you should just relax and kind of be yourself yeah. it'll yeah. be better yeah and i think she learned i've put her in things since and she learned from that but anyway that was there then the funky thing about that was after a while i was like all right i'm done and the, actually the producer like daytime if you didn't know is sort of fading and so they got rid of some of the producers that I had been working with, and so yeah. I just stopped going on. And so they had another guy play my character, but he's still called Franco. Yeah. And then they kept bringing my mom back to play this new Franco's mom. And what had once been Your mom meta, was having a good time. Yeah, but what once had been meta, yeah. Then soap opera fans would just read it as their show, and I now still run into people. In the, you know, usually older women yeah. in, in the airport and be yeah. like, oh, I loved you on General Hospital. I don't like the new Franco as much as... <laughs> <laughs> and 
they, they they just accept it. Yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, um, and then and then finally the whole soap opera uh, saga ended um, with this weird <sighs> art thing. Yeah, where I got Mocha here in Los Angeles. We did a show at Mocha at the Pacific Design Center space that was an episode of General Hospital. But it was as if my character Franco was having the art show there. And then his art pieces oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. were sets where he had interacted with this other character, Jason, because he was obsessed with Jason. Yeah. But that it was also kind of a, a show and performance at MOCA. And we had like soap opera fans come and also museum patrons come and watch the filming of this thing yeah. that turned, that was going to be an episode, was an episode on ABC. It aired. Was nominated for Emmys, but then I also had my own camera crew filming the whole thing right. that turned into this movie called. Um, and when I say it, everyone's going to be like, "Oh yeah, that's so James. That's the ultimate James Franco thing." It's called Francophrenia, or or the subtitle is "Don't Shoot." I know where the baby is because it's a line my character says. Yeah. But then we eventually aired that on Comedy Central when I did my roast so you see a set like you understood the the idea be you know as a creative person as an artist that you have a public persona and it's big right yeah so you're like you know like well that's something that's malleable like i can fuck with that right okay so that so that that's a uh that is an awareness that that's important in in the sense that you you know your consciousness of it kind of gets you uh, a little slack you know, for you know, you can't be a full dick if you knew you were fucking with people with your own persona. What you're talking about also goes back to the Freaks and Geeks days, where when I was on Freaks and Geeks, I had been taught, like, by an acting teacher, like, yeah. don't let your public, don't, don't put too much of yourself out there. Don't do talk shows. Don't do shows like this one that we're on. Like, if people get to know you too much, then you won't be able to disappear into the characters, right? The and mystique. So, yeah, John C. Riley. Did you listen to that one? He came in here, it's like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't like doing this. I don't like talking about oh, myself. Really? I need to manage my, you know, I don't want to blow my mystique, whatever it is. And then we ended up talking, like we ended up talking about clowns for 20 minutes and he was wide open, you know, right, but, right. but like he was aware of it. Right. That as an actor, the one, you know, the one card you have that you could play is that people don't know me that well. I mean, I took it too far. Like, you know, Judd and Paul Feig on Freaks and Geeks were like, what this, this kids are, you know, one of our... Our leads. He doesn't want to do any press. Like, <laughs> who's this little jerk? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And uh, and then I and and so I was trying to manage my public persona in that way from the beginning. It seems. Yeah, and yeah. then later it was like, oh, okay. I can't really control this thing. Like, people aren't writing about me like I'm the coolest guy ever like I just can't control it you know so it was like all right I might as well have fun with it but they're not writing about you as the coolest guy ever they're they're writing of, about you sort of like what's what what's up with this fucking guy yeah like oh another stupid James Dean wannabe like screw this kid well, you kind of you know you you could you know you got stuck in that because of the movie where I mean you had to play James Dean and you locked, yeah you locked into it yeah, it actually, that wasn't a problem. After James Dean, that wasn't a problem. Like, right. everybody around me said, don't 
play James Dean, like you're going to be scrutinized and you'll you'll be typecast yeah. from then on. That actually wasn't a problem after I played James Dean. Yeah. It was just before oh, okay. when I was actually like <laughs> doing the Jim Carrey like off-camera James Dean shit. Like yeah. that's when it was a problem. You did that on that set? You be you Yeah, but not to the not to the Carrey extent. At least part of that deep dive into Andy Kaufman and Tony Clifton is that avoidance of self avoiding running from fear and pain sure absolutely and but also like to have a uh like in in like this is a good question for you because you don't seem to you know you, you don't seem un, untethered you don't seem that they're that you're lacking self but i i, think, I had to work i mean i had a <laughs> i had to work on it man yeah i mean what we're talking about the period we're talking about was a was a search and i did i, I which think period I, james dean uh i guess all of it but like like the last 10 years let's yeah. say seven to ten years where you're going to uh, nine colleges yeah and you're <laughs> you're yeah. painting yeah okay. because i had after james dean i learned on that movie like everybody everybody around me said don't do it don't do it my agents everyone said don't do it yeah. don't do it yeah my only person that said do it was my teacher the acting teacher. Robert Carnegie. Yeah, yeah. Because I realized, oh, he was, you know, a James Dean fan. He was like 50 or 60, and he was still obsessed with James Dean. Like, he's, he he's James. still dressed yeah, yeah. like James right. Dean. Oh, right, right, And right. so it was almost like... So you listen to that guy. Yeah, it was almost like he was experiencing yeah. it through me. Right. But it worked. Like, he knew more about James Dean than anyone. And so it it really worked and it paid off. I you know I got some recognition for James Dean. But and, did you? But like, but did, was that the first? When did you do that? What what year was that? Be, that's it after came out two thousand one. Okay, it so was after Freaks and Geeks. Okay, so yeah. that it was your first movie. Uh, my first like lead role. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like this 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 like you know mythical actor who is yeah. known for this you know very specific method and and this yeah. yeah i mean i did yeah i did some things some that were silly and some that were i don't know whatever i don't know it's hard to go back and be like well cuz i'm happy with the performance i mean like you know i got a great response from yeah. it i remember Sean Penn you know yeah. like all my heroes were coming around they're like man i just showed the, i just showed Jane, i showed rebel to my kids yeah. and then i just and i showed your movie and, yeah. and i'm like look same guy like that you know so yeah. it was like wow it really paid off yeah yeah but i did go to extremes i started smoking i didn't talk to friends or family for 4 months yeah. i i you know i isolated i watched his movies all day every day read all the biographies was that was that because of your training were you trained to do it that way or is that just the way you thought to do that's it that's what the teacher told me to do james dean the J yeah. james <laughs> dean worshipper yeah and it worked and so then after that movie i was like well that's how you do it that's right. how you do everything yeah but then i did a series of movies where i was doing this prep eight months of prep like whatever learning how I, I ride a horse like this scripts was like okay there's a battle on horseback he's charges down the hill yeah. and you know yeah. some epic like braveheart battle and yeah and so i was like well i gotta learn how to ride a horse and then also thinking naively like oh i'll do all my own stunts yeah. not thinking like oh as the lead they're not gonna let you do your own stunts because if you get injured the movie's over dude yeah and actually i did get injured in the movie like got stalled six months <laughs> but learning how to ride a horse and then 
on my own dime. Yeah. We're talking hundreds of thousand dollars <laughs> every day going to Griffith Park, <laughs> riding these horses that were yeah. movie horses. Right. Retired movie horses? No, still active. Like they were like one of them was or two of them were Zorro's horse from yeah. the Antonio Banderas uh -huh. thing. Like yeah. so I'm riding Zorro's horses yeah. and stuff like that. And getting after eight months, I got good. Yeah. I could I could I could stand on the horse's back as it galloped. No kidding. And yeah, that kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff. And and then getting to, you know, Ireland and the director saying, um, here's the new script and I'm looking through for the horse battles and yeah. it's like instead of the <laughs> epic horse battle it's like uh six men sneak on foot through the woods and it's just like no you know that's just like a small you know, <laughs> clear example of how like i didn't know how to collaborate or right. you know build a character with <laughs> the director right and so but also what do you get how do you know anything about rewrites that can happen the day of We're i cutting the i horse had thing. to learn the hard way yeah I had but to now learn. you can ride a horse yeah, well, I've got that great video. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that my friend shot on like a little camcorder. But if you needed to jump on a horse, you could do it. Yeah, I can do it. <laughs> I have never used it. <laughs> but how do you see this as being the beginning of this arc of of you kind of like blowing open your sense of self into all these different directions? I, I had, I yeah. So after a while, I was like, I, I this is really disappointing. Like, not only like was I doing movies that I I shouldn't have been doing. Like, for what? Because they were what? Well, a, I gave too much credit to the teacher because he had said do James Dean when everyone else said no. So I was like, he's got the answer. Yeah. So I gave him too much weight. Yeah. I didn't know. Oh, you stayed with the guy, the teacher. Uh, yeah, you kept taking long. his advice. It was like I went to that. What's his name? I went to that school for eight years. It was also partly, you know, I needed a, I needed an artistic father. Yeah. Like when I told my parents I was going to drop out of UCLA, yeah. they were like, well, then you got to support yourself. It was probably a great thing that they did that. Yeah. Because then I went and worked at McDonald's and it was like, I'm working drive-through. It's like, you better work hard at the acting. Did you choose McDonald's just for the... To... That was all I could get. I was I would go... I didn't have a car because I crashed my car in high school and yeah. had a suspended license. Yeah. So I had to get a job within walking distance of my Sherman Oaks apartment. I was sleeping on the couch. And... Uh, so McDonald's, and then I went to all the restaurants. But I was just this eighteen-year-old schlubby kid. I had very little work experience. All the other actors had all the good waiting jobs. Yeah, and and somebody in my life was like, "Well, are you too good to work at McDonald's?" I was like, "No, I guess not." I you really like taking those challenges, don't you? I went there. They hired me right away. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> they were happy to have you. Yeah, and but it made me work really hard. And so then when I went to the school and this guy Carnegie was like, yeah, come here. You don't, you know, if you can't afford the monthly payments, just pay me what you can and, and write it, write down what you owe me. And when, if you make it, then pay me back. Or I think he maybe even said when you make it, he like he had he that much belief. He's like, yeah, sometimes you need to take a chance on yourself. And he was the only one in my life that said that. And it was like, it was really, how'd it, you find that guy? Valuable. Yeah. I was I was the only it was the first acting school I ever visited. Did you did did he have other students that you knew um, or Jim Carrey? Well, I don't know how long Jim Carrey went there, but I think when Earth he was doing Earth Girls Are Easy or yeah. something because oh, yeah. Jeff Goldblum was a teacher there. Oh, okay. And uh, so I think Jeff like had Jim go there like he probably went to like one class right. or something. But 
I stayed there too long. Like, like it was eight years. Yeah. It was like, get out of the net. I was doing Freaks and Geeks with Judd, and you'd think like, you, just, you could stop? just lean on this. You're, yeah. I didn't know. It was my first real job. I didn't know I was working with the best of the best. Right, right. Uh, I was I was still going to act. It was like, yeah, uh, okay, after work today, I'm going to acting class. It's just like, you yeah, know what I mean? You, but, you, but because you thought you had to work. You wanted yeah. to keep doing the work. But yeah. like, what was the method he had? What was his, his angle? It, it was you... based in Meisner. And it was it basically like the best thing I got out of there was how to re- relax and be be present. Right. And And when he took me through the preparation for James Dean. Yeah. That's something I always kept and ironically the character i just you know in the movie I, that i played in the movie that's coming out now the disaster yeah. artist tommy wiseau yeah that dude was a huge fan of james dean he's yeah. not anything like james dean you know what i mean on the yeah. outside he's like part pirate part vampire part yeah alice cooper roadie or yeah. something but um he's aiming for james dean and I found it really ironically satisfying that I prepared to play Tommy Wiseau the same way that I did p- to play James Dean. Do you prepare the same way for all roles for from that from learning from doing the James Dean? I mean, what was it that he taught you to do that that is a regular part of your process? The general the general thing is is always there. Like Basically, for every character, you got to get the insides. You got to figure out the insides. That's the key. Some characters are like the behavior, the outer behavior, the outer look yeah. is closer to me, and I don't have to do that much work on it. Right. Like, it wouldn't, like, when I'm doing this, this is the end, yeah. you know, and we're all playing, playing yourself. exaggerated versions of ourselves, it wouldn't serve me to throw on a British accent. Or, you know what I mean? Right. It's like, but, but like, let's say I do guy- need to figure out. Still, the inner life of that character, the amplified in those, you in that context, right, right? Right. So, I figured out like they. It's funny about that one in particular. Like they, they did this a great. Is the end? Yeah, they yeah. they had a tricky thing where it was funny. It was great. Yeah, I think that movie is just incredible. Yeah. yeah. But they in the first script, they had they had to figure out versions of each of us that would sort of emphasize, you know, a few aspects of our personalities and exaggerate them. Yeah. But then also find a way to fit those into this overall overarching kind of arc, right? Yeah. And originally they had me we it was weird. It was like I was my character was like really materialistic and like all about his Gucci clothes because right. I was modeling for Gucci at the time. You were in real life at that time. Yeah. yeah. And and I was like but they were, but to Seth and Evan's credit, they were like, they met with each of us and they're like, tell us, you know, what you think would make this better. And I was like, <clears throat> I want this basically, I feel like is, at least for my character, the unofficial sequel to Pineapple Express. Uh-huh. And what was the key to Pineapple Express? For, for Saul Silver, my character, he wants a friend. It's a love story. That's why it's called a bromance. Yeah. You know, he wants a friend. Yeah. And that emotional grounding. It, which is also something that Judd taught us <clears throat> and what revolutionized comedies is having that emotional underpinning. The need? Yes. Yeah. And to make that real. Yeah. As big as the jokes are, to make that emotional thing real and yeah. tether that, you know. Yeah. Make that, th- that's the character's tether. Yeah. 
And in Pineapple, I just, you know, he just wanted a friend. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that was the same thing in This Is The End. And I was like, no, I want, I want to, you know, my character needs Seth. Like, yeah. if we're coming, if this is the end. Yeah. What does my character want? He wants to survive with Seth or he wants to save Seth. And that's what I do at the end, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I sacrifice myself for Seth, but then I can't get over my grudge with Danny McBride. And so I don't get to go to heaven. I think I think that they, I, I still tease them about it. I think they lost at least like 10 million at the box office because I wasn't in heaven. Like they should have at least put me and Danny like in, in purgatory heaven? or oh, something yeah, like that. Together? Yeah, at the end, yeah. Oh God. But- but that's what I do with every character. But with a James Dean character or a Tommy Wiseau character, those are characters that are based on real people. But not only that, they're public figures. Like people know how they sounded. They know what they looked like. They know how they More moved, right? Dean. Yeah, but Tommy, like yeah. the super fans, like yeah. Tommy's very specific. Yeah. So that became part of that character. But but also there's like, you know, the one thing that, you, you know, that I couldn't wrap my brain around, like, because I watched a movie, you know, and it's it's not it's not a comedy, The Disaster Artist. No. No. You well, know. we didn't, hide, that was, I mean, our approach always, I mean, I had Seth Rogen uh, produce it. Yeah. Because I wanted him to take out, take me out of the artsy literary indie world of Faulkner and McCarthy, right? <laughs> I was like, look. I did all those movies, those dramatic movies after James Dean, and I and I was like not not happy, not satisfied. Went into a depression because it was like, and it was even it was com a depression that was compounded by the fact that on the surface I'm in these Spider-Man films and stuff, and yeah. I like the Spider-Man films, but but that aside, it was like you should be happy, dude. Yeah. Look at this. You got this career. You're supporting yourself on your acting and everything. Yeah. And I was depressed, and so I couldn't complain to anybody about it because it'd be like. Oh wah. You yeah. get to play you know, yeah, you have yeah. to play Spider Man's oh, best friend. Another oh, sequel. Yeah. Oh wah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you have to make all that money. <laughs> you know, and I couldn't talk to anybody about it, but I was deeply unsatisfied with my work and the way I was doing it. And so one of my and I searched. I was like, how do I get out of this? I did everything. I I did charity work. I worked with the kids in the hospitals. I I friends were like, Come to my church. I tried that. I did everything. And, and then, one and of the also things the I, art. Yeah, no, one of the things I found was, oh, I can go back to school. Yeah. And UCLA had this policy where, like, once you were admitted, you could go back at any age. And I went and, so I started at UCLA Extension, and then after a while, they're like, no, you can re-enroll as a student. So I went back at, like, age 26, 27, and was a student at UCLA. And then that sort of attitude of humility and surrender, I think, you know did something to me and the energy that I was putting out. And I ran into Judd at the Austin film festival. He had just done 40 year old virgin. And he was like, finally, like people don't remember that like, there was a time when Judd's things were not landing. They were getting canceled undeclared yeah. and freaks and geeks. He's like, Oh, he was in a new place. He's like, I have my hit finally, finally. Yeah. And he's like, Come, I don't know why you left the comedy world, James. Come back, come back. Yeah. And I was like, I'm ready. Like, I hit bottom, <laughs> I'm ready. And he's like, Seth, and Seth had kind of just been sort of a writer for five years or yeah. so. Judd kept him afloat. He had pulled him out of high school and he was like, <laughs> You gotta take care God, of him. God, I, I gotta do something. <laughs> I can't let this kid sink. And and he was finally coming back and, and he's like, I'm gonna do this movie Knocked Up with, with Seth. 
I hope I think it's going to do good for him. And then you two should do a movie. And so, so the same time I was going back to school, I then did Pineapple Express, and then that same year I also did Milk with two of my heroes, um, Sean Gus Penn. Van Sant and, and Sean Penn. That was great. You were great in that. It's a great movie. Yeah, thanks. And so that year was like a huge transition year for me, and I and I learned. And what I was maybe trying to say on your sh- show in yeah. Austin was like, it was a huge lesson for me. Like Judd and Seth have been there at every transition period. Mm-hmm. This latest movie is a is one too where I learned on Pineapple like oh you can trust the people you work with right the director so so you're saying that throughout the course even though you you like the Spider Man movies you were working a lot you did a lot of movies good and bad you did and you were you, in your mind right yeah we don't have to mention them yeah. but like but you were completely unsatisfied went into the darkness couldn't yes. understand it I know that feeling yeah like if you're not wired to like. Some people just aren't like uh, happy. Like I'm ha- like you know what I mean. Some people aren't innately working towards happiness, right? Yeah, you're working towards what's the thing. But I think you can. That's a, that's one of the fascinating things that for me when I get more and more into the uh, comedy world because I like in my movie The Disaster yeah. Artist, we have amazing comics and, and, uh, and dramatic actors a lot of them in there bob odenkirk and yeah. cranston but also like you know paul Shear and, and jason Hannibal. yeah uh yeah and then you had some people talking about the the room but that was those were brief yeah paul Shear, right yeah uh yeah a lot of them and who was it was melanie griffith it, was yeah, it, yeah 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 played yeah. the acting teacher uh, yeah and, and judd his cameo was judd. great oh man because because you like there's, I, yeah, I've known Judd for a while, not as long as you, but I'm like, I, you kind of know that's got to be in there somewhere. What? Whatever oh, came oh, out of dark- him. That's- <laughs> well, Seth Rogen said to me, who know who, who has worked closely with Judd for many, many years, yeah. he's like, yeah, I've seen that look in Judd's eye. You know, when he's about to like <laughs> lower it, lower the boom on yeah. somebody. Like, uh, <laughs> and... <laughs> and it was that was an important thing to me for me too to have Judd in that role because it's a great scene. It's kind of brutal. Yeah, because he Judd was I didn't know it, but Judd was an artistic father for me. Yeah, I thought you know thinking about this movie and actually listening to your interview with Judd, which yeah. was amazing. You guys are you guys are geeking out on being comedy nerds, right? right. Before yeah. there were comedy nerds, and when you were kids, just. Yeah in your rooms just surviving by right. watching comedy right yeah, yeah and i was like thinking like what's my thing i didn't i didn't watch comics like that but i did in high school kind of get into james dean and marlon brando and and Getting gus arrested. van sant and well yeah, yeah. So after sort of at that same time but also after i i kind of cleaned up and yeah. stopped doing all that gus van sant yeah, like sure drugstore cowboy yeah, in my own great, private idaho great. like those were movies that started. I started watching in a new way and started understanding, at least intuitively, like, oh, there's there's people behind this. There's artists behind this. Sure, making decisions. It's not just the actors, right. like you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, coming up with it on the spot. It's like there's all this. There's a director yeah, that's doing yeah. this artistic right, stuff, right? And um, and so that was sort of my thing. And so then I. And then I and then when I went to acting school with Carnegie, he obviously was into James Dean, and so like I thought, you know, from an early age, like, oh, I'll become a dramatic actor. But then, 
I got on Freaks and Geeks. And like my trajectory, I kind of got pulled in this other thing. And when you're 2021, 20, it's, it's still a formative time in yeah. your in your life, sure. in your brain. Yeah. Like Casey Affleck's like, yeah, your brain, you know, is still yeah. forming. Yeah. And like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And, you're, and, and so I kind of got pulled off that trajectory. And this whole other thing opened up in my uh, repertoire, I guess. Yeah, but you know, it's like, it's weird because like people judge you in a certain way but without really thinking like, you know, maybe you were just actively interested in learning and, and figuring out a new avenue. I was. And it, and it's what I needed at the time. And I, and I, and I look back on it and I'm like, cause now I'm all about, I'm sort of like, at least, I don't know if it's fully realized in Jim Carrey or not. I don't know the guy, yeah. but the, at least he was paying lip service to a lot of stuff that was profound. Like he was saying stuff in that documentary, like, and then you get everything you dreamed about and you realize it didn't fulfill you. Yeah. You know, I, that was like words out of my, I was like, Jim, you pulled the words out of my mouth. And, and, and so at that time when I went back to school, it was a little bit of like, oh, this feels good. It's an alternative. Cause right. I was making my career everything. That yeah. was my spiritual salvation yeah. was like career. Any career is going to have its ebbs and flows. Sure. Anything. Right. If, and and so when it was my lows, I realized, oh, I'm going through a depression. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I then would feel low. Right, right. And so school was sort of a distraction for that. Yeah. I also grew a little bit. I learned how to collaborate. Yeah. And you read but, some good books and, you know. Yeah, and, and I, grew, I grew as a creative person and yeah, I learned right. how to direct. Yeah. And when I went, I went to NYU and as a, for directing, like yeah. after UCLA, I, I got my degree and and um, it was like, this is great. Oh, and I can go to grad school yeah. and like, I, I only have to study exactly what I want to study. I don't have to do all these GE classes yeah, right, and all right. astronomy or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and it was like, Oh, let me do that. And yeah. then, oh, if I'm going to take this time and really study uh, and not work as much, then I better, why don't I just throw myself into it? Why don't I go to multiple schools? And then it was like, <laughs> oh, I got accepted to all of them. Yeah. Like, I'll go to all of them. I'll go to film school and writing school. And and then I got at the writing schools, all, you know, most novelists teach yeah, because it doesn't pay. And my, so, one of my best friends, Sam Lipsight, he's a teacher at Columbia. Yeah. Yeah. He was a teacher. I didn't have him, but he was a teacher there when oh, I was he's, there. He's great. I was at Columbia. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I had Gary Steingart. He uh -huh. was my main guy oh, yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and so I was like, oh, I can have my heroes as my teachers. That's like akin to being directed <laughs> by yeah. Scorsese or something. Right. And I was like, give me more, give me more, give me more. And then when I got out of film school, it was... Oh, film school was an awesome experience yeah. for me. Yeah, I got in my shorts, but in my shorts, I got short films. I got I got to make a movie about Malcolm SNL. Mitchell, yeah, right. Yeah, I had Malcolmovich in yeah. it. Made a feature of it. Uh, I had Michael Shannon. Yeah. I had uh, Charles Dance, who's like the king in uh, Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, Tyrion Lannister, and and uh, I got to work with. My, one of my heroes, Frank Bedart, the poet. Oh, yeah, and I yeah. adapted one of his poems yeah. into a thing, Frank uh, uh, Herbert White. 
And so when I got out of NYU, I, I thought, all right, I've been in the biggest movies around. I've been in the Spider-Man movies. I've yeah. been in Oscar-winning movies like Milk. What do I want to make? Now I now I get to choose. Yeah. What do I want to make? And I thought, and I and then I had just read this oral biography of Sean Penn, and I guess at one point he had thought about adapting as I lay dying into a movie, and Nicholson was going to play ants, and he was going to be Daryl, and it opened up the idea, you know, the possibility, like, oh, you can adapt Faulkner, yeah, right. And I was like, well, he didn't do it, I'll do it, right. And that's my childhood book that was my thing that i read on the weekends you know when i was at home and all my friends were partying and and so that's how that started and it and it was very you know artsy and whatever and we took it to can and i should probably have like stopped there like one of them would have been enough but like (laughs) just like i had to go to multiple schools it was like, oh, I got to do two Falkers and a McCarthy it's, and a Steinbeck and a, you know. Yeah, it's but so those are so weighty because and you wanted, <laughs> but you wanted to you know honor the uh, you know the impact of those books, right? Well, yes, and and so there were upsides and downsides to all of them. Like it 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 as a director, those things pulled those books pulled me in new directions yeah. because I was trying to I I figured because there had been like a adaptation of sound and the fury long ago um what's her name um paul newman's uh, widow was in joanne it. woodward yeah, yeah she was in one yeah and it was not that good because they kind of just used the story they didn't use any of faulkner's structuring or style right, right. right yeah because they wanted to have a story but it's like that story is not that it's just melod southern melodrama yeah, you know yeah. what i mean without the style yeah and so I was like, I want to, I want to find the cinematic equivalent of of this of Faulkner's style in these yeah. things. And so, like for As I Lay Dying, I did split screen because that book is told from all these yeah. the different perspectives right. of the different characters. Each chapter is the perspective right. of a different character. And I was like, ooh, this will give a sense of you know these multiple perspectives. So these were these were your experimental movies. Yeah, and they and they opened you know and they pushed me. Yeah, and you were you were afforded the uh, luxury of being able to make them. Why? Because I, yeah. Well, because no, I, because I, I was successful, and that got me, right. that got me financing. Yeah. I, uh, and I also made them for a but. I like figured out how to make them for a, a reasonable, responsible budget, but also pick projects that would still look good. Yeah. Even though they were period pieces, so like as I lay dying, they're on a cart for most of the movie, going through the woods. Right. The woods. <laughs> period no matter what you know <laughs> yeah. what i mean and it was like yeah they don't so i thought i had, i thought i had it figured out and, when and you, in a sense you know doing all it's so many things yeah was part uh you know it was kind of what i had learned as an actor when i was working at mcdonald's yeah and it was like i gotta make it i need to act every free moment that i have <laughs> yeah because i need to make it yeah I'm the only one except for my teacher who's believing in myself right now. And it was sort of the same with the directing. It was like, I know, I I believe in hard work. The only way to get better is to put in your 10,000 hours, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so that was part of it. Like, just do as much as possible. And then you're, and still, I, and you're still acting in other people's movies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jonah Hill made a joke at my roast. It was like... Um, 
yeah, James, the, you know, the, the adage is like one for you, one for them, right? You do none for them and like seven for you or something (laughs) like that. And it was, yeah, like I did sort of do one for them. I would do like a big studio movie and then a bunch of my little projects. Um, 127 hours, a big movie. Yeah. I did that when I was at, uh, NYU. And you stayed in that Canyon. (laughs) <laughs> that's funny when i met with danny boyle this is a funny story when i met with danny boyle yeah i was at nyu and i was in a weird place where i had suddenly sort of been relieved of my addiction to to work at least temporarily so my attitude was a little less than like super passionate yeah i was like oh danny i'll yeah, I'll do your movie. Oh, is it sort of? I when I was in my artsy mode, I was yeah. sort of like, oh, so we'll go to the, we'll go to the canyon, the real canyon, and I'll just sit there. We'll do it for like four days. Yeah, I, I understand. I like, I won't dehydrate myself like he really did, but yeah. like, well, it'll be like an art piece. I'll just go for like five days, like him, and you'll just film me. Is that what we're doing? And he's like, uh, yeah, so not really, but yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then he told my agents, he's like. Yeah, he didn't he didn't seem that passionate about it. I don't think he really wants to do this. And so I thought I didn't have the part, right? Right. He met with some other actors and I I don't know what happened, but they didn't get it. And so my agents are like, "Okay, second chance." They're like, "Danny, come on, give James a second chance. He really wants to do this." Yeah, yeah. And he's like, "All right, I'll give him a second chance, but now he's got to read." And I hadn't read for a movie in, in years yeah. at that point. <laughs> yeah. And so he's got he's like, "He's got to read." He's got to fly out to meet me now. So I flew out. It was He was now in LA. I flew out. I met him over at Fox. It was like 9 p.m. He didn't give me any sides beforehand. Yeah. And he's like, all right, here's the monologue. Because you know the movie, like, there's not a lot of dialogue. Yeah. It's mostly talking to the camera. <laughs> so they're on the page. Those are long speeches. Yeah. He hands me, right there, he hands me this page and a half long speech where I'm like, basically saying goodbye to my my family yeah because i think i'm gonna die (laughs) so he's really putting it to you yeah he's like here go in the other room and whatever (laughs) learn it and come back in like an hour and a half or two hours and yeah and then we'll do it well i had been doing general hospital before then doing 90 pages a day right you could put in your i can memorize like that i went in there i think 15 minutes i came back i'm like i'm ready he's like what i'm like yeah i'm ready let's do it and I did it one time and he like came over, he gave me a hug. He's like, all right, you're in. And I got it. <laughs> Thanks to General Hospital. <laughs> you got 127 hours. Yeah. And he, what's so great about him or one of the great things about him is he will set challenges for himself. Mm-hmm. So on my movie, a guy alone for most of the movie. Yeah. But he's still, he's such an entertainer. So he he wants to do that, and not make just a little art movie. Yeah, like he wants to make this as dynamic as an action movie, and it really is. Yeah, and but he also is open enough when even on set to figure things out on the fly. And so we figured out a lot. You know, we pretty much shot in order. Yeah, we had a whole can. We shot in Salt Lake City. Eventually, we went to the real canyon to do some of the stuff. Yeah. but we shot most of it on a set. Yeah, but he had lasered the entire little crevice, the canyon that we were in. And uh, so it was exact. Wow. And then unlike most sets, 
where there's f- walls that fly away so they can fit the camera in there. He's like, I don't want any flyaway walls because I want the crew to have to adjust as if they were really in the ca- in the canyon. <laughs> oh, man. And and so it was it created a specific kind of look and feel. And so one of the first scenes is when the boulder falls on my arm and then the character uh, tries to pull himself out with brute strength. And Danny, so Danny says to me, um, all right, I want you to do everything possible. Bash yourself against the rock, push, pull, kick, do everything you can, except don't, obviously don't pull your arm out and don't stop until I say cut. And I was like, okay, but I'm going to get bruised up if I really do that. He's like, yeah. And uh, I was like, all right, well, you better get it on the, the first take because I'm going to really go at it. He's like, okay, we'll see. And so I went, I just, I went at it, right? By the time I was done, I was sweating, crying, everything. Uh, it had been 21 minutes of just straight going at it. And that's where we figured it out. And he's like, that was amazing. And he's like, I'm only going to use probably 90 seconds of that in the edit, but I'll give you, I'll give you the 21 minutes and you can, you know, go watch, get high and watch it with your friends. And, <laughs> and, uh, uh, but that's when we both re- kind of figured it out and realized that's how we do the whole movie. You just really do it. And we had these cameras that could go endlessly because yeah. they were hooked up to hard drives. And it was like in those 21 minutes, he has my whole trajectory of getting exhausted and emotionally upset. And it's not like, okay, as the alternative would be like, okay, this is where you are trying to get out in the beginning and you're really going at it. Okay, now you're like 12 minutes in, you're more tired, make yourself tired. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like, it's all real. Yeah. And it's like, that's how we did the whole movie. So like the the experience was authentic like short of cutting my arm off (laughs) you know yeah uh i was really doing all the things that aaron ralston did oh my god and that's the kind of the brilliance of danny did you talk to ralston much we did and um and that's what's interesting about that is he's a real character yeah just like tommy wiseau or james dean um but he as opposed to to tommy or james dean He's he's not people don't know him yeah. by how he looks or how he moves or yeah. how he sounds really. Yeah, yeah, you can go to his his talks and his yeah. you know inspirational talks, but that's not what he's known for. In the yeah. same way that you know oh, sure. you see yeah. a poster at James right. Dean, yeah, yeah, and it's just an iconic kind of yeah, yeah. you know look and sure. pose and everything. Yeah, um, and so Ralston's not modeling jackets or anything. Yeah, well, the the primary thing in the Ralston, you know, performance was to capture that experience in the most authentic way possible. And what was the emotion that you put in place? Get out? (laughs) How do do I get out? Yeah, but also despair, also like get, you know, in its own way, it's sort of like this is the end. Like if you come to the end, you're facing extinction. You're facing death. Yeah. Now how are you gonna? Now what? Yeah. What do you do there? How do you behave there at but the, the end? But like, how, how does that lead the Oscars? <laughs> so that movie comes out. Yeah, I'm nominated for an Oscar, and this right. is sort of the moment of like the Jim Carrey like get everything you dreamed about, yeah. and you're still like, wait, I'm supposed to be happy now, right? 
but not realizing it in the moment. So I was nominated. I was sort of hearing like, you know, Colin Firth, King's Speech. Yeah. You know, everybody's favored, yeah. favoring him. Yeah. And so part of me, I didn't know this at the time, but part of me was like, I don't, I don't want to lose. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But thinking at the same time, no, I'm above it. I don't care. I'm yeah. an, I'm an artist. Yeah. I don't. It's not about that. But the other side of me is like, no, I want that award because I, <laughs> you know, I want <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it'll, it'll complete me, or yeah, I'll yeah. be accepted, or whatever. I'll all win. those, all those feelings that everybody, you know, yeah, you can't win. blame me. Everybody has that, right? Yeah, yeah. Who wouldn't have that? And yeah, that, of course, you want to win. And so when Bruce Cohen, who was a producer on Milk, yeah. came to me and was like. You well, you host the Oscars, which was largely because Seth Rogen and I had done a little bit like a year or two before, yeah, uh, where we were playing our Pineapple Express characters, right, and like, right, right, and yeah. it went over really well, yeah, yeah. And he looked at that and he's I like, remember that. Oh yeah, yeah. it's funny. He could host it. Yeah, I probably could have if like <laughs> if Seth was the other guy. Seth was my partner. <laughs> yeah, and nothing against you know Anne. Like, yeah, uh, I love her. It was it was. It it was me, you know. I I had that idea of I'll insert myself somewhere where I don't necessarily belong. I never Set thought I would be, be the host yeah. or ever dreamed about it or wanted yeah. to do it. Yeah, I just thought same same way with the general hospital. I never yeah. dreamed about that. It was yeah. just like, oh, this will be an experiment. And so when they when I was there, they would be like. Uh, do you want to, you know, Anne was all about, she was like gung ho. She's like, let's make this better. And she was yeah. working on it always. Yeah. I was like, no, I want you guys to, I want to be made over in the Oscar host mold. Like, I don't want, I don't have anything to add to this, <laughs> <laughs> which was a big mistake. Right. And like, I learned later, like Steve Martin and Alec Baldwin, like when they did it, like they worked like they yeah, were yeah. writing and you know they knew how to do it right. like and so it's a hosting job yeah and then also <sighs> judd gave me great advice during that time he he had written some stuff yeah that for you sadly yeah sadly didn't get used yeah for various reasons and um and he just said to me on that night he's just like all right james this is your biggest acting performance yet. <laughs> you gotta just pretend you want to be there. Like you just, I don't. I, and I don't think I did. Like I was trying to, I was trying to play the straight man, and I just, I, I think I just ended up playing like the wooden man. Like it was just. Did you it know, feel terrible when you were doing it? I kind of knew because you do the rehearsal before, and yeah. I just knew. Like it just. It was just a little happening? flat. Like the yeah. stuff that we shot, like pre-shot, yeah. was actually not bad. It yeah. was good. Yeah, I was just, the, yeah, I don't know. And like, I was going to come out, Judd, one of Judd's big things and, and I, and was you need a second act thing and second act kind of bit. Yeah. And I was going to come on as Cher singing. She had a big song that year for that movie burlesque yeah and it had won the golden globe for yeah. that song but then didn't get nominated and so that's why they said they're like we don't want to do that bit anymore i think it might have been that i was like just a bad <laughs> like so bad as a singer they were <laughs> worried but <laughs> it didn't matter like that wasn't the 
I didn't need to yeah, be a good yeah, singer. Right. It was it was pretty funny. Yeah. But they pulled it and instead. The bit was I just come on dressed as Marilyn Monroe. Just that didn't make any sense. It was like the joke oh, was my God. that, and it just was not good. Anyway, <laughs> oh my. God. Anyway, did what you, I realized. Did you feel yourself tanking? Um. Yes and no. In fact, there's a weird thing when you host. Yeah. What the what what plays in the room is different than what plays on what you can hear. TV. Yeah, yeah, sure. And so people came up to. Uh, the producer Bruce after I think Spielberg he told me that Spielberg came up to him and said that was great <laughs> so I don't know <laughs> and then and then I got on a plane right after yeah and uh, went back east because I was in school yeah. and I holed up in an apartment for a week I got a and like went to my classes and just hid in that apartment in that that, oh. that hotel and shamed and read the yeah just read all the criticism you did i got like a it was so heavy and so much stress i got a uh a hemorrhoid and oh. i remember being in that <laughs> that <laughs> uh, that hotel room eating the food hiding out and just feeling horrible Hurting in your ass yeah hurt. yeah 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 but yeah but the whole thing was when i went on general hospital into a place where i didn't belong it was interesting to people and i thought oh it'll be the same thing on the oscars and it was like it wasn't no. because people look at the oscars in a different way yeah, than they do a soap opera showbiz. Right? Yeah. yeah but also i realized in hindsight that it was it was a defensive move against the probability that i wasn't going to win and it was like oh i i had looked it up i was yeah. like only Eight times has the host also been nominated at the same time. Yeah. And of those eight, only one in the history of the Oscars, David Niven, ha has won the night he hosted. And so I thought, all right, I'll do this move and it'll I'll be saying like, all right, I don't care if I don't leave. Like yeah. I'm right. I'm sort of in control here. I'm I'm sort of precluding my yeah, <laughs> chances yeah. at winning. Yeah. And um in fact, I was just, it was like hiding in a weird way. Hiding in like the plainest sight possible. Right. You yeah. It would have been better if you just sat in your seat pretending like yes. you didn't give a shit. Yes. <laughs> or I, you know what I should have done? What? Just enjoyed the ride. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? I'm one of As five. As a host? One of, no, host. not hosted. And just enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Right. But you nominated. Just said, hey. I'm one of five guys that's nominated this whole year in the whole world for this thing. Just enjoy that. Instead, no, you got to go up there and get a bunch of bad press. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh fuck, man. So, but okay. So let's uh, let's talk about the disaster artist because I saw it, and you know, I, I told Allison I saw it because I see your your brother on set sometimes. He comes because Allison's I work with her every day. Oh yeah, for Glow, she's you know? the best. I she's love great. that show, by the way. Oh thanks, you're really great on it. Oh thanks. Yeah, it's real fun. She's great. She's a great actress. It's a perfect role for her. It really is. <laughs> she gets I like to that. do all her, but all the, her actors. But the, to do to balance that much desperation and ambition and still be charming and and a sympathetic character, it's crazy. It's funny actually. It's it's sort of another side or flip side of my character in uh, the, disaster the disaster artist. artist. Well, that's the thing. Like you know, I didn't know what to expect, and I didn't know how it was being marketed or anything. And what you know, I've been in L.A. long enough, on and off for years to have remembered the billboards, but never going. But just remembering those menacing billboards. You did remember room. those, of course. Yeah. But I didn't know that it had become a cult thing. I didn't know any of the history of it. Did you know it was a movie? Because I, I did. didn't even know it was a movie. Well, I knew. 
knew it was a, a movie, and then years later, you know, people said that they it was the worst movie ever. And that yeah. it got, but I remember when it came out. When did it come out? Because I know two thousand three. Yeah, because I was but coming. The billboard out here. was up for like five ever, years, ever, forever, on his own dime. And, Hundreds of thousands of dollars. For yeah, that and, and I never saw the movie because I'm not one of those guys. I can't, I don't really enjoy things that are so bad they're good. I never it never registers that way with me. Yeah. You know, I, I always feel bad. But this is a bad. different so bad it's good. Right. No, I get that. Right. Yeah. Like, like the laughter. Like if you, I don't know if you've since been to like a theatrical screening of the room. I haven't. But I need to go. The laughter in there doesn't sound cruel to me. Right. It's it's like the atmosphere in there is communal. And when Tommy shows up to those screenings, people are so excited. Well, to I like see that him. in the in your movie that turn. Yeah, at the premiere. Yeah, and that's that's we we kind of truncate that the the turn the turn. You know, it was a little longer in real life, but that's exactly what happened. Where at, where Tommy Wiseau when he was making the movie The Room, he lacked self-awareness like more than anybody alive like he you know it was like i say he had reverse body dysmorphia where he wasn't a slim person that thought he was overweight he looks like captain jack sparrow yeah meets whatever and thinks he's james dean right right narcissism kind of i get yeah 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 we're yeah certainly narcissism yeah and um he put on the original poster, a Tennessee Williams level drama, right? And he and he paid for the thing, six million dollars. Looks like it was made for sixty dollars. It looks like dog shit, right? Uh, he kept it in the theaters for two weeks on his own dime to qualify for the Oscars. So it showed what he was aiming for and how kind of out of touch he was in one way. But as soon as he realized that people were laughing at it, he had the wherewithal. To capitalize on that and right. then take credit for that. Yeah. And so as out of touch as he was when he was making it, he became a maestro of self-publicity and like capitalizing on this thing. This thing. Like he became as skilled as a Kardashian, you know, using his, you know. the Yeah, but, but still like the, the scope of that, you know, like I understand what you're saying and it's all within the con, it's within the parameters of this this event, that movie. You know, it's not like, he he's not well known, but within the parameters. I mean, it's been playing 14 and a half years. I mean, I went to London. There is a, I mean, in oh, really? London, okay. it's like. Maybe I'm just out of touch. But, yeah. but, but what we were, t no, and I'm not saying that. In a, I mean, I'm sure not, I am. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you're saying. But like the thing that, like that really got me you know after being in this business for a while that there is a level of of ambition and desperation that that percolates in this town all the time yeah and that you know what was fascinating to me was sort of the commitment of all these other people around this there were guys that were like Are these checks going to be cashed I'm, i don't give a shit but the actors who were like we're going to do this and then they they stayed with it throughout the, all the way to the premiere they went to the fucking premiere but there's this 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 world it's not even B movie stuff, and I and I and I am hesitant to say it, but there's that moment with Judd where you're playing, where you're Tommy, and and he's Judd, and he's laying that thing down where it's like you're not gonna make it because in that moment, whatever that character that Judd is playing knows that you're not talented. There's no fucking way yeah. that you're gonna make it by the rules, yeah, of 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 the way this thing works, yeah. And he was being honest. I know. 
so hard. And and the fact that that's the the underlying thing is that you know there's this ambition, there's this like you know everyone you know has a chance, and you you work hard and you work hard and you work hard. But the underpinning of this character is that he's fundamentally not a talented person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And 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 it's it's painful to me in a good way that you made him sympathetic and that you know that and and, and he was flawed and creepy mm-hmm. and you know like and like there like I didn't know a lot about it but like that you you thank God your brother was your there you know to play off you because like I don't know if there was a choice there but it seems to me that that relationship between those two men was a lot more darker and insidious. The real one, yeah. For it to, pers- <laughs> you know, then, then, then Davy was going to allow. It was almost like you know, you had your brother, <laughs> you know. Um, could be. I mean, yeah. I mean, we. There is a, I guess you could call homoerotic sort of hint, even in our thing. Yeah. In no, no. The, yeah, you bring book, it comes. Yeah, which is also weird because it is my my brother. We didn't want to hammer that too hard because right. I think it's it's somehow more than that and less than that. You yeah, know? you had to balance the film because it is a fairly traditional movie. Like you, you didn't you didn't make an art movie. You made a movie about a guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh. Well, that's why that's why I wanted Seth Rogen and Point Grey to produce right, it. Right. Like I saw, like, oh, this is the one that's bizarre enough that it appeals to me. Yeah but it also has the potential to cross over that the underlying thing that you're talking about of everybody want you know everybody with a dream can relate right. to you know right. being on the outside at least in the beginning right i mean yeah. i heard it in your story from yeah, what i've sure, heard of it sure. you know we all I mean, it's my story too sure. um everyone's at mcdonald's yeah 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 everyone has something yeah. of that yeah, you know sure. and if it's and even if you're my brother dave right. who's brother you know he's on freaks and geeks when you're actually in high school when he came he had his own trials of like oh i gotta be james franco's little brother like you (laughs) know what i mean like and so we all have something so i knew that that was universal enough that it that it could reach people and people could relate to it and that we had a sympathetic character yeah potentially in that i just i found it was fascinating that like you know as all these people are being brought along for this journey just because this guy has the money to do it like you know, you got a guy with money saying like, "I'll pay you all." You know, there are yeah. plenty of people, whether they like it or not, are going to be like, "All right," you know. <laughs> yeah. How long is it going to take? Right. <laughs> right, and <laughs> that's where like this. There's two parts of this movie that are interesting. Where it's like, part of it is just the story of outsiders with a dream, right, and yeah. and just trying to pursue that dream. Uh albeit through the upside down cracked lens of this bad movie the room yeah the other side of it is at a certain point like all the people got on board the actors the crew maybe just because they were being paid like the 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 character that seth rogan plays i shouldn't talk about him too much because he i don't know he goes he probably goes out and says he's the real director of the oh, of the room right the guy who seth played yeah uh, yeah like they all were there at a certain point it, whether they got on board and, See, and like it's you know so you get like when you start out like 
if you can just be in front of a camera, you're like, yeah, yeah, I want to do it. Or and Jackie Weaver's character says, you know, the best day on a movie set or the yeah. worst day on a movie set is better than yeah, the worst yeah, yeah. Day, best day anywhere else. You know, part of that's true. Like you're in, the, it's the dream factory. Yeah, you get, yeah. you know, this yeah. is it. Yeah. You know, that part of the, there's something about there that that's true. Okay. At a certain point, most of the people on that movie must have thought, oh, this is really bad. But at least nobody will ever see it. But then the crazy part of this story is that it then turned around and then did become a cult but, hit. But, but here's the question. Like, did any of those people in that original movie go on to have careers as actors? Um, no. <laughs> no. See, 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 this is the thing that, that this. No. Is and so they ironically are known for that, for thing. the room. And so that's why they're all sort of like now, now, like Greg had to go out and write that book. Yeah. The smartest thing he ever did was co-write it with Tom Bissell, who's an incredible writer. Yeah. And he, they turned this story that could have been a, a series of ridiculous anecdotes into something that was very moving. You know? I, yeah, I thought the movie was very moving, and I thought that the character that you put, you really locked into that guy. And, you know, like, if you've been in Hollywood, if you haven't met that guy, you've met guys like him. You know, I mean, way. like him in, yeah. In, Only in the sense of, like, you know, they they're, they got a big awareness idea. And, right, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. There's something about movies, too. Like, there's hubris in every profession. Sure. But there's something about movies where it's so public... It is a collaborative medium, I think, you know, when it's working in the best way. And and Tommy, I, I, I wrote a review of the book even before I got the rights to it. And, yeah. I, and I said, I respect Tommy because how many millions of people come out here and they don't even make the movie, you know, their movie. Tommy made his movie. He got it made. But when he then was in the process of making it, he's working in a collaborative medium. And he didn't know how to collaborate. But I also can't blame him because the guy was told no his whole life. He was rejected his whole life. And so he learned through experience that the only one he could depend on was himself or maybe his friend, Greg. And so when he got to the movie set, he didn't know how to turn off the the self-will and maybe listen to a few people that could give him advice and maybe help him avoid a few pitfalls like oh you don't have to buy all the Equipment. lights yeah you, you don't, don't want to shoot do with that. two cameras you the, don't have to the, sh shoot a digital a and green regular. screen in the yeah. parking lot like you know what i mean like but on the other hand the way most artists learn right yeah is you put something out there and if it doesn't come off like you intended it fails and you realize oh i shouldn't do it that that way anymore like i should change yeah. up what i'm doing like right. me like right yeah, like sure. i was doing those dramatic movies and it was like oh i don't know how to collaborate i'm doing the james dean thing i'm not getting the results i wanted change it up i learned i learned by hitting my head against the wall tommy didn't get to hit his head against the wall because the the movie that he intended to be a Tennessee Williams level drama and wasn't then turned out to be this cult hit. Thank God. <laughs> Why? Well, he'll never. Yeah. I mean, yes, thank God. But it also trapped him forever. Dude. Into the persona. But 
<laughs> you, you're like, okay. But no, you just, <laughs> you believe that there was, there was no, no hope anyway for that guy. Well, it's not a matter of hope, okay? It's like, I don't know why any, a lot of times you don't know why anybody makes it or, or, or whatever. It, it, it takes, it's a weird alchemy of coincidence. Yes. And, and sometimes talent, sometimes ambition, yes. sometimes timing, whatever the fuck it is. Yes. So for me, the, the heartbreak of it is, and who and who am I to judge, really? Because I spent a lot of time, you know, not making it, and, and and I didn't have any other plan to do anything else in my head. But the one thing about movies is that it's one of the few businesses where people just come here with no skill or talent and go like, I'm, I'm going to be in the movies. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, they, there's just this weird magical thing where the movies will take care of me. I'm going to be famous. Well, that's part of it too. That is actually akin in Tommy. That's akin to James Dean, where the movie is going to save you. If I make it in the movies, like James Dean had a hole in his soul. Yeah, he lost his mom when he was eight. Yeah, his dad sent him away to live with his aunt and uncle. Right, he lost both parents essentially when he was eight years old. Did you ever find out the bat? What is Tommy's background? I know, sort of. Yeah, I mean. The three mysteries are, you know, where he's from. He yeah. sound like this, you yeah. know, like he's from Eastern Europe, but he's, say, from New Orleans, all-American guy. Like, it's a thin veil. Like, yeah. you don't, and you kind of know he's but not you, from New but you, Orleans, But you didn't right? say it in the movie. Because to me, it's not a, that's not the mystery. Like, I know he's not from New Orleans. No, I know I that, know but... he's not 20 years old, you know? But... I know he's, like, at least in his late 40s. I and where he got the money like is scary to me <laughs> like you know it's not about uncovering that what's interesting to me is the guy that holds on to that facade so tightly and okay. why and the emotional underpinnings of that okay I that's get that. what we revealed no i get that you know and there are scenes where you know where he's walking around with his ass out and that scene with that actress that was rough stuff dude yeah that was a <laughs> I mean, you gotta contextualize it a little bit. Like, no, but I mean, that was a big. That's one of the climactic scenes in the movie where Tommy. He, if you know the room, there's like four sex scenes, the most ridiculous, absurd, horrible sex scenes you ever seen in a movie in the first thirty five minutes of the room, right? Yeah. On the set, the legend is he directed those scenes almost fully nude, right? Yeah. And so we show that in our movie. But tonally, that scene was so tricky. It's sort of the gist of our, it's like a, it's the nucleus of our movie where it's the guy is acting out. He's really inappropriate. Uh, he, but it's also so absurd. It's funny. And um, and it's also for our character a moment where he feels like he's losing his his best friend uh, to and a girl, yeah, a and, woman, yeah. And so he and he's full of self hatred, and so he's taking it out on the on the crew and the actors. What, what what I found though for me, like you know, I don't know what how I'm reading it because I you know I'm, I get sort of sensitive to to desperation and to people yeah. that are broken. Yeah. You know, is that, you know, that actress's decision to sort of like, I'm okay, I'm okay. After being, you know, verbally and emotionally abused and, 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 yeah. and you know, and, and you yeah. know, 
pounced upon in a fairly you know, unsafe set. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. You know, and for her to say, like, no, it's good. Let's just, I want to stay in the movie. Yeah. And then Paul Shear's character is like, this is fucked up. You know, that. And it's got, it's, it's just like the desire to be in the movie. Right? Yeah. The desire it's to tar- be. It's in- dark. It's pretty dark. And those audition processes, it's not I just think, about sex either. Yeah. Even the men, too. I, yeah. I get you. And I think. I'm not saying I, it's, it's, I think it's a great, it's a great portrait of that yeah but i think i think on ours you know it it is on one level dark we didn't want to but we worked really hard to balance it out no you did one thing that doesn't make that my character tommy completely irredeemable at that moment because it is on one level really awful what's going on yeah is he so absurd? Like he doesn't like. The well, he's sex, emotionally it's almost, broken. It's yeah, almost like, like yeah, uh, alien. Right, he is directing like, like he a doesn't sex scene. Like, like he doesn't know what he's doing, yeah. or he's or he's fundamentally, you know, not comfortable with women, which right. is probably more the right the the thing, or or with people in general, right? Except for and so he's like Greg. What you're talking about, where the movies are gonna save me? Well, what is Tommy like? What did Tommy want? Why did he? He wanted to make it in the movie so badly. There's a interesting thing in the book. So they in the book they go a little bit into his backstory. And yeah. They kind of in the book there's they say like they keep his childhood vague, but they give you a, yeah. hints and they're like, imagine they they kind of word it this way. Imagine a, a boy in an Eastern Bloc country. He sees an American movie for the first time. Yeah. He's enthralled. It, it allows him to escape. And that you get the sense that maybe Tommy started to think about American movies and escaping his situation by going to America, you know, as the same thing that the American movies in America w- were right. equated. And so that becomes the what's going to save his life. I get it, yeah. And then... There's also this thing in the book where, and we kind of touch on it in our movie, where Tommy kind of hits a bottom. Judd just devastates him, says, you're never going to make it. And Tommy is, you know, he's he's at the end of his rope. Well, the real Tommy did hit a depression, was possibly suicidal. And then the real Greg says, and then after that, you know, he was leaving, Tommy was leaving messages on Greg's machine, like saying, I don't want to live, I... You know, but I don't, but I believe in God or, you know, and, (laughs) (laughs) but sad though. It's sad. It's brutal. And then he shows up with this script, the room and in the room, the character commits suicide. And I look at that and I was, I'm very moved because it's like he channeled, he channeled his pain into the movie. Interesting. Yeah. And and so in that sense, not only were the movies going to save him like make him accepted, it actually maybe saved his life. Right. To me that's moving and that's what an artist does. You know, regardless of the skill level, he's doing what an artist does. And I I like So tell- that's what compelled you. I mean everything. I no, wanted no, no. to play that wacky guy. Like I wanted to play this. No, but 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 at the heart of what we're talking about and what you're talking about is that, you know, you you were able to 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 get past the the pathos, the tragedy uh, of of this character in real life, and and the the, the I must assume is a somewhat weird vibe yeah. around both of them. Yeah, to yeah. this day. Yeah, 
and you were able to somehow see part of your own story but also a, a, an yeah. artist story that and you're not you're not claiming that he's misunderstood or that the movie's good or that you know like as we said before it's a yeah. beautiful turn of events that happened for yeah. these two guys yeah but the but but his persistence and his will and and the the uh, the circumstances of his financials you know enabled him to execute this completely unique disaster <laughs> yes and <laughs> And that's, and you know, it's, and, and here's the thing. It's a disaster, but it's, it's been in theaters for 14 and a half years in almost every major city to sold out crowds. People are getting something from it. And so I also like the idea that even though it is not a success or good by any conventional right, standards, right, right. It's it is still sort of a weird, uncanny success. Sure. And I've probably watched it as much or more than any other movie that in my life, yeah. you know? And and I do get something out of it. And people undeni- people I respect get something. Lin-Manuel Miranda, email. I don't know him that well. I've never met him face-to-face, but we're email buddies. When he heard that I was making that movie, he emailed me and was like, Oh my God, I cannot wait for your movie. I love The Room. Okay, so I think my problem is I got to see The Room. Maybe. Maybe. No, I do because because I'm only approaching it like without seeing it. I My heart, you know, is scared of that man and feels bad for him. And, and Don't feel bad for him. I mean, in in another way, you know, he got everything that he wanted. Yeah, that's you true. know what I mean? He yeah. was a lonely dude. He now has a community. Yeah. He walks into those screenings and everybody's excited to see him. And he's all right? You have a relationship with him? He's actually really sweet. He, dem- he went in his contract. This, uh, <laughs> I got all these stories, yeah. but we got to end this thing, right? Sorry. Right. <laughs> he uh, demanded that he have a scene in the movie. Yeah. We didn't want him on set, yeah. right? Because we all I knew about him was what I had read in the book. And it like, <laughs> Wasn't we good. don't want that energy around, <laughs> yeah. right? He finally came to set and... Uh, we were, we were like, oh man, what's he gonna be like? And and I wanted him in the movie. I thought it'd be a cool like little Hitchcockian kind of th- yeah, you yeah. know nod and yeah. Uh, but in the background, yeah, right? right? Like right. He kept. He's like, no, no, have to be seen with James. I'm like, Tommy, I'm playing you. It's not gonna work. It's not that kind of movie. No, no, seen with James. I'm like, oh my god. He's and and so he's like, I want my I want my character to be named Hanray. I'm like, okay. And we wrote him this scene. My Tommy is at a birthday party with Greg and, and realizes that Greg has all these friends and I don't have any. Yeah. And so I'm in the corner by the food pouting. Yeah. And then this character, Han Ray, is going to come up right. and talk to me, whatever. Right. Three weeks three weeks before, or two or three days before we shoot, Tommy he, he sends me this text message. He's like, uh, obviously, he's obviously in this um, lens crafters because... He sends his photo. There's all these glasses behind him. Yeah. And he's like, what you think of these glasses? Uh, good for character? I'm like, yeah, they're great. Yeah, I can't tell it's you. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> and and he had drawn on a mustache with Bic pen in yeah. the photo. Uh-huh. And he says, um, if you like mustache, I draw it on better when we shoot. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just like, dude, this guy. You know, I'm like, he's so out of touch. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like. Tommy, if you want a mustache, we'll get you a fake mustache, okay? 
He shows up. His hair's in a ponytail. He's got the fake mustache. He's got the glasses, and he's Han Ray. He yeah. comes over. We do, and but he comes to set, and he's actually really sweet. Yeah, he won Seth Rogen over. Seth was like, "Oh my god, this guy's really." And I and I interviewed Tommy as Tommy. It was so bizarro. Tommy acted as if like. Yeah, of, of of course somebody will be interviewing me as me. Like, yeah. this was coming for years now. Like, <laughs> yeah. if anything, yeah. like if anything, like we're like five years too yeah, late. Yeah. Right, you know right, I mean? right. It should have happened earlier. I asked him. Uh, so Tommy, you going to ever direct another movie? He's like, Yeah, I got this movie, American Stud. Uh, you ever seen American Gigolo? I'm like, Yeah. He's like, It like that, but is with gay sex. Very controversial. I'm like. <laughs> I'm thinking like what they've never made a, like never made a movie with gay sex before like right. he hasn't seen a movie of, you know yeah. after six, 1962 right. or something and um, anyway Seth was like afterwards he's like hey uh, it'd be really interesting to do a movie with, with Tommy maybe we should do American Stud and we go over and we're like hey Tommy you know we want in to American Stud maybe just we'll do like little parts in your movie What what do you say he had to like think about it, and then he's like, "Oh, okay, maybe, maybe I'll give you and Seth part, okay." And, and then we're like, "How? What's the budget of American Stud?" And he's like, "Well, you know, it's probably like twenty million." <laughs> we're like, oh, "Well, that's never gonna get made, right?" But he's a really sweet guy. I could talk about him forever. Um, he he is in a weird position. There's like Tommy before the room who is a very earnest, sincere guy trying to make a dramatic movie. And there's Tommy after the room who takes credit for it being a comedy. Right. You know, whereas before he said, you know, people will watch this movie and they will not be able to sleep for two weeks. They'd be so disturbed. Right. And now after, now he says, the room is safe place. You can laugh, you can cry, do whatever you like, express yourself, just don't hurt yourself. Right. So like, Oh, and I know you go to Cantor's, right? Their I place do. was Cantor's, and we have it in the movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Because that was their spot. Two weeks ago, I call it Honest Tommy Day. We had done some press, and afterwards, Greg, the real Greg, texts me. He's like, Tommy and I are at Cantor's. Uh, the the waiter that we used to have circa you know early 2000s yeah. is here. You should come and surprise Tommy. I'm like, okay. So I go down there, and Tommy says to me, he's like, uh, and and normally this I mean he not normally not this open right. Yeah. He says um, and unprompted he's like you know James, the room, it don't come out exactly as I intend it. I'm like wow because that I mean I knew that right yeah, yeah. but he never admits that I was yeah. like really he's like yeah, but you know what it get reaction out of people and that maybe all you can hope for. I'm like. Yeah, wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I I I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes, I seen your movie three times now. He saw it um for the third time at the Chinese theater. Yeah. Right. And it was like incredible because when he premiered his movie fourteen and a half years ago, yeah. 
it wasn't at the Chinese theater, but yeah. he had made all these T-shirts that said The Room, and he pulled up outside of the Chinese theater and popped out of the sunroof and threw The Room T-shirts at all the people standing there, and he said, don't don't go see that movie. It was like Memento or something. Don't go see that movie. Come see my movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Here we were 14 and a half years later, you know, yeah, premiering yeah. it at the Chinese theater, and and he goes, you know, after watching it third time at, at the theater, uh, you know, your movie, it make it very moving. It made me emotional. I was like, really? He's like, I was like, which which scenes in particular? And he's like, well, two scenes. Uh, first is Greg's scene, and I'm thinking, Greg's Greg's scene. What is what does that mean? And, he, and then he goes, and scene uh, at end. You know, um, when Greg give me that advice. You know, because real Greg, real Greg, do that for me, and um, it made me very emotional. And he, you know, he, my best friend, he's still my best friend. I was like, oh man, that's really great. Yeah. That's, that's, that's touching. And I go, but what's the other, what's Greg's scene? What do you mean by that? And he goes, you know, um, scene in swimming pool. And if you know, if you know the movie, it's this scene where my brother as Greg is yeah. in the pool with Allison, Allison his yeah. girlfriend in the movie. I'm like, Tommy, what, that's, that's your favorite scene. You're not even in that scene. They're, it's Greg talking about like IMDB with his girlfriend, yeah. and he's like, "Yeah, that swimming pool scene it makes me very emotional." I'm like, "Why?" He's like, "Because swimming pool, you know, it happy place." I'm like, "What? <laughs> what? So Whatever, dude." <laughs> anyway, anyway, with this movie, the disaster artist, this. Uh, was sort of the melding of my two worlds. Yeah, right? yeah. And and it was in weird way like Tommy Wiseau is this weird comedic, dark comedic character, but underneath is all the pathos of James Dean, you know, sure. and and all that. And and so and then not only that, I by playing Tommy, I I could relate to him in his struggle and his dreaming, you know. Yeah. But after playing him, I realized, oh gosh, I relate to him so many more ways than I want to admit. <laughs> right. And that willfulness and that blindness and and all that. And it really woke me up. And I and I've come to this place where I realized, you know, when I that first phase when I went back to school, I was like deeply depressed. Yeah. And I realized that I had, you know, in hindsight, I realized, oh, yeah, I was making, you know, my career, my, my, whatever, the goal of my life or what, basing my happiness on that. Yeah. I sort of did this. I didn't realize that by going back to school and doing all these other things that I was just doing the same thing in a new, you know, in a right, different right. way. Yeah. Yeah. And what I had to realize was like, oh, take a step back. I mean, I had the best circumstances possible on Disasteros. My working with my friends and family, my brother, my sister-in-law, my oldest collaborator Seth Rogen, all these great people on great material. I get to direct and act and all this stuff. But that can't that can't be the end all. It has to I have to be okay with myself. Yeah. First. Right. And then you get to, and then you get to live a great life. But you have to, you have to figure out how to fill that hole in a different way. You know, 
in this forum, it kind of sounds, I don't know, cheesy or whatever to say it's a spiritual solution, but sure. it is. It yeah. is. And then you get to, and then you get to live a great life. Yeah, you're, you're getting tight with the spiritual solution. Yeah, good. <laughs> how how are you put you both your parents still around? My father passed five years ago. Uh, yeah, but he but got to see your success. And... He did, and that was a, it was a tricky thing. He, because he said when I was going, when I started acting, I dropped out of UCLA and worked at McDonald's. Yeah. Right. He was like, "You're being a fool," and I think he was just scared for me, you know, because he had been a painter. Yeah. He met my mom in painting class at Stanford, and then stopped painting and went to business school at Harvard. And so I think there was probably a part of him that was afraid to pursue the art, just like Jim Carrey's dad. I mean, that when I saw that documentary, I was like, "Oh my god." Jim Carrey's dad was a musician and gave that up. Yeah. And, 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 and so I then made, you know, then I, and then I kind of made it. I could support myself as an actor. It was nice. You know, we did get some time before he passed and where he did tell me, you know, I'm proud of you. And then the last thing he saw me do was my thesis film at NYU and I played this other poet, Hart Crane, yeah. whose father was a millionaire from uh, uh, chocolate, as his chocolate company. Yeah. Hart Crane's dad actually developed the Lifesaver and sold the patent because he didn't think it would make money, right? Yeah. In like the 30, 20s yeah. or 30s. Anyway, he was this millionaire and he didn't, support his son who just wanted to be a poet yeah and i made this movie about it and it was the last thing it was the last time i ever saw my dad was at the premiere of of um that movie <laughs> at the la film festival and then i remember at his funeral um i was like you know that was the last movie i ever saw and hart crane's dad never supported him never came around and they they never you know they never connected and i was so grateful that my dad and I had come around full circle and, and he had seen, you know, my movie and yeah. and that he did support me. So that was really great. Oh, that's good. On was, the other hand, it would have been a bad movie to go out on if you had not yeah. reconciled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on the other hand, yeah. five years ago, it was five years ago in October yeah. when he passed, um, I think I still had something in me where I had to prove it to him. Cause like, you know, they, when I, when I went into acting school, left UCLA and went to acting school, it was like, Oh, you don't believe in me? Then I'll show you. I'll yeah. show you. I'll show you. And so when he passed, I can see now all, you know, the crazy, all the activities like ratcheted up even more. Yeah. That's when it went into overdrive and it was just like, I have to work 24 seven, you know, to and, prove this man wrong. Yeah, I guess. And it like, my dad was no longer there. So then it was just the world. Yeah. I've got to prove it to the world that I'm something. Interesting. And I finally, you know, I did it a lot. He didn't of, make you feel worthless. So he just didn't have faith in your ability to become what you wanted to become. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he always believed in me, and, and yeah. he he tutored me in certain things. He tutored me in math. Yeah, you know what I mean. It yeah, was but, like, you had, but he was a good dad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in a lot of ways. But yeah. yeah, but there was a part of me that didn't feel like he was the artistic father. Right. But your and, mom was though, right? Yeah, and she came around. She's very, very loving, and we um, are very close. 
but there was just a period like by the time my brother came around seven years later and I was you know I'm on Freaks and Geeks and he's a freshman in high school and then he comes out to LA yeah. and he's going to USC and he's he's like yeah I don't want to finish USC uh, maybe we'll do the acting thing they're like yeah do that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got the easy ride go for it buddy <laughs> that's good well I'm glad everyone's good and, like, and also we need to get to talk about it but uh, I like the do so lot. you're doing great oh thanks brother yeah man uh, great talking to you yeah man we'll have to do it again we got so much we could talk about yeah we keep going but not tonight <laughs> okay alright pal there you go we're gonna have to do it again we turned those mics off I turned the mics off and we talked about other stuff he's like I, I, we should talk about that next time and I'm like you got it James Franco dig it can you dig it no guitar today. I got a shower. Boomer lives!